I'm a handshake tater. I'm a spud with a plate. I'm a miracle that's greater day by day. I ain't your average quitter. I don't put up with golf. I'm doing the best I can. The Tontator. Welcome back to the Trump Tater with Dallin Johnson and Jamie Renda. We have some uh, a lot of fun today, Dallin, don't we? We do. We're going to start fresh on the, the Trump Tater hot takes, and we might even need to start naming them uh, the Biden blunders <laughs> be, because they're, they're pretty ridiculous. But along with us today, we have um, Joe Carey that's going to join us in this first segment, and we're going to get a little bit of uh, an insight on what Joe thinks about these blunders as well. Okay, well, let's start with the first blunder. So Joe's walking down the plane and the steps, and he's waving. Who's he waving to, Dallin? Um, It looked like it's a field of of, uh, plants. Nobody else. (laughs) An empty field. It was pretty pretty weird. Yeah, and I think he was anticipating maybe they weren't going to do the cameras around to show the entire empty field. But uh, so, do you think Trump ever gets off a plane to an empty field? I don't know if if he does. They have the cameras already adjusted, though. Yeah. So so we wouldn't find out. Yeah. (laughs) That was a pretty big blunder. But you know what? I think those cameras are, um, we'll talk about the other one that that happened yesterday as well when he was speaking to the um, Hispanic audience and and we heard about five claps in the audience, but there was never a a camera shot of of the the people he was addressing. And I like how the claps, you know, when they realized it sounded like there was five claps in the audience, they made the claps louder. Yeah. Like that was going to somehow change the number of people. But uh, let's talk about what Joe did to uh, reach out to the Hispanic population that he's actually starting to lose. And so it was really important for him to connect with the Latinos that were there. And uh, boy, he went out of his way. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's, it's kind of a pandering act. Um, if, if he can show that he's culturally aware or culturally connected to his audience, then he thinks it's going to gain votes. And in his defense, in, in Joe Biden's defense, um, he he is kind of pigtailing on uh, or uh, piggybacking, excuse me, on on what um, Obama, President Obama, did. You know, o- President Obama was a very um, intellectual and very well-spoken man, and, and he was able to connect with his audience and his voters because of the way that he was able to do it in a classy manner. You know, he he um, he endorsed listening to a rapper named J. Cole that immediately got on the next album, and he was invited to the White House. You know, and so he had that connect with him. I, another one is um, he did the the March Madness brackets, so that put him you know even more connected with his audience and, and a good portion of his audience that. Um, you know, wins him a vote like that. And so for Joe Biden to do this, I think it just shows the the desperation, one, but the two, the just the, the disconnect that he has with reality and with his voters. Joe, what do you, Joe Kerry, excuse me, what do you think about all this? You know, I've got to say, I, I think it's absolutely amazing that uh, Joe Biden gets off the plane and he waves to the empty field. But the reality is that's an improvement because at the last city he was at, the only people that greeted him at the hangar we're Trump supporters. That is true. And so talking to an empty field, if you're Joe Biden, is actually a, uh, a step up. And just real quick, I, I, Rush Limbaugh had a good observation yesterday. And um, it's not really being covered in the media, but, you know, Rush Limbaugh brought something up and he said, look, you know, we, we can laugh at what Joe Biden does. And, and everybody knows that he's struggling mentally. But uh, Rush pointed out that, you know, you never see Joe Biden at night. Did you hear that segment? Mm. No, I didn't. He not. says you never see Joe Biden at night campaigning or going out since about March. And Rush talked about this mental condition associated with Alzheimer's and dementia called sunsetting. And as those conditions set in, it gets worse at night. It's exacerbated. And so Rush, of course, said, you know, look, we don't know if that's what's happening. But it's certainly interesting that in a campaign where every minute matters – you know, Joe Biden is just seeding the those evening hours. Well, Joe, I don't know if you can remember what was it, twelve, thirteen years ago when Obama was first running. What was Joe Biden's description of Obama? Oh wow, I 
I'm not sure. What I, was he? I remember it. Um, it was, I think he was when he, was it just before? It was during the, the uh, 2008 or 2007, whatever it was, yeah, it was the election. Yeah, 2008. 2008, yeah. Um, I, Joe Biden said, he, you know, Mr. Obama, Senator Obama at the time, was a, a clean and intellectual black person. And he was a one of a kind for a black American candidate. Yeah. You know, and I think that just deteriorates any uh, any unity or any desegregation efforts that we have because you're immediately saying that he's one of a kind, that this isn't a normality, you know? Yeah. So going into that, what you were saying on Obama, he was classy the way he reached very, out. He connected very. with people. and uh, But the fact that uh, Joe Biden gave that as a description says a lot about Joe Biden mm-hmm. and that type of pandering, that type of mentality. And uh, still not for sure how he made it to be VP, VP with Obama after that comment and how um, that didn't make bigger news. But anyway, let's go on because this is funny. Joe walked out of the room, but uh, he's going to miss out on this one. So so Joe goes up with his mask on and uh, turns on his cell phone and starts playing the music. This is at this is at the um, the Hispanic rally that they had. What, was it in Florida? I believe I can't remember where it was. I don't think it matters. Okay. They, what, what matters is the song. So let's talk about the song. L- let's read the chorus line. Yeah. Well, and, and even before the the song, we we talked about his intro, you know, and the, and the claps and and the sporadic clapping is what it was funny. But you notice they clap for about ten seconds, and then there's a five second delay before you even see. Joe Biden coming from behind the stage and and it's almost like he's coming out of this dark cave you know you talked about the sundown he didn't even know he was time for him to be on or or the prompting wasn't ready or something so I feel like it was a disaster from the get-go to make matters worse he puts his cell phone up to the microphone and plays a song called Despacito and if you break down the lyrics or the chorus um, of that song and you translate into English just so our listeners know that song says I want to breathe your neck slowly let me tell you things in your ears so that you remember when you're not with me. <laughs> yeah, that's not made up. That's what this I mean, song is saying. <laughs> what's sad about this is we all have visual imagery going through our minds. Right. And so what is your visual imagery you have going through your mind right now? Uh, well, mine is, is him sniffing the girls. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the young girls. You know, there's, there's, I don't know, 20 pictures on the Internet. Don't quote me on that. But there's, there's many pictures on the Internet. At least 20. Of a public setting where he either has his arm around a, a young lady, he's grabbing the arm or, or, you know, the waist, and he's pulling his head in, and he's almost sniffing them. Yeah. It's weird. And now the song is talking about exactly that. Yes, yeah, slowly. 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 Though. Slowly. <laughs> Well, he can't move fast, and so I think that that might be a reason that they picked this song anyways. But So, Joe, what do you think? Who suggested this to, uh, to Joe Biden? Probably Donald Trump. I mean, if I were to take a guess, it's probably uh, Donald Trump snuck that in. But, you know, I think uh, I just want to point out two things. One, I haven't heard this anywhere else except from you and Alan. Like, I didn't see any of the major media talking about this. I didn't see any other... Uh, news outlet actually taking the time because we live in such a condensed and abbreviated news cycle you're already on to the next story but i think it's absolutely amazing and brilliant that you know uh the trump tater podcast comes out and says hey you know did anyone actually listen to these lyrics i mean it's truly breaking news and so kudos to to you guys for doing that that's absolutely amazing yeah thanks the other thing is i think um it just goes to this you know uh it goes to joe biden's you ain't black comment right Mm -hmm. i mean this is pandering this is political pandering at its worst and uh they remember how they jumped over donald trump when he had tacos yeah. Right. Rem- yeah. And like, oh, you're pandering. This is racist. And here's Joe oh, Biden. On Cinco de Mayo, he Ex- had tacos right. brought in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's absolutely amazing that double standard. And that's what I thought when I saw the uh, the clip. Yeah. So Joe brought up. We are going to be getting into the Joe Biden comment on the Breakfast Club, our next segment. But what I want to do as we close out this segment is I want everybody to close their eyes. And Dallin's going to read the lyrics to this song one last time and just visualize Joe Biden. Yeah, visualize Sleepy Joe with the young lady well, right it, here. Well, and as <laughs> Trump did a hashtag yesterday yeah. on Twitter, yeah, hashtag yeah. Joe the pedo. Joe the pedo. <laughs> so here's the lyrics again. 
I want to breathe your neck slowly. Let me tell you things in your ears so that you remember when you're not with me. I'm sorry, but if Joe said that to my daughter, we'd have some issues. <laughs> well, read that next one. I think we have a little bit more time to get the last part of these. Uh... So it says, I want to undress you with kisses slowly, sign the walls of your labyrinth, and make your whole body a manuscript. <laughs> turn it up, turn it up, turn it up. Slowly. And Joe turned it up. <laughs> Yeah, he did. He, he turned it up for all of his audience, right? Yeah. So anyway, leave you that visual image of Joe Biden courting the Hispanic Latino votes and uh, and just picture him smelling the back of your neck, your hair, rubbing your shoulders, singing you that love song in yeah. Spanish. Joe Carey, thanks for joining us on our first segment. We'll be back with the Trump Taylor podcast. of nature changing the world one life at a time i've had a lot of really great days back to back which has been a huge blessing even my doctor told me uh, because they asked me to bring everything in that i take on a daily basis he was very encouraged by seeing what i was taking and he he said he didn't care how many i had he said it's food and the form that at the end was something that he was very, because uh, he's an avid learner and he's always researching and uh, he's, he's always excited to see new things. And he told me this would be good. This will help you immensely with the nutrition that you need. Experience the Balance of Nature difference for yourself. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Start your journey to better health today by calling 1-800-2468-751 or by going to balanceofnature.com. And make sure to receive this special radio offer by using discount code USA. The healthcare enrollment period has just ended. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a health care program. Sign up for Liberty HealthShare today. As a Christian health care sharing ministry, they are not insurance. So you can still sign up. There's no open enrollment period. You can sign up now and you can pick the program of your choice. You get to select your doctors and your hospital. They have programs for single individuals, for couples, and families. Best of all, there are no contracts. And plans start at only $199 per month. Go to libertyhealthshare.org backslash Joe Carey. That's libertyhealthshare.org backslash Joe Carey, K-E-R-R-Y. I'm Wade Alaroot for Cornerstone Asset Metals. In the last six months, trillions of dollars have been printed out of thin air, drastically diluting your buying power and future standard of living. Today, you have only one choice. Protect and preserve your future savings and standard of living. Protect your retirement. Protect your children's future. How do you do that? With precious metals. Back in 1970, a paper dollar and a silver dollar were equal in value. Today, your paper dollar buys less than half a gallon of gas, while a silver dollar buys over 10 gallons. More proof positive that gold and silver protect your wealth and future buying power. Take advantage today. Roll over a portion of your IRA or 401k into a precious metals IRA. Only for Wayne Alaroot listeners, Cornerstone will waive all transfer costs up to a $1,000 value. So you'll open a precious metals retirement account for no cost. No one else in America is offering this deal. Don't delay. Protect your wealth now. To register for more information, call 888-8-GOLD-NOW. 888-8-GOLD-NOW. Or go to cornerstoneassetmetals.com. Welcome back to the Trump Tater Podcast with Alan Johnson and Jamie Renda. We're going to continue on what we were talking about and, and go a little bit further into the Breakfast Club. Um, and, and more specifically, what is the Breakfast Club, first of all, Jamie, for our, our member or our audience that doesn't, hasn't heard of that? The Breakfast Club is the most listened to podcast radio program in the black American community. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody that runs for uh, in the Democratic presidential um, primary goes on to the breakfast club yeah. and pleads their case on why they should be uh, the candidate representing um, 
people in the black community. Yeah, and, and they are more Democratic leaning, you know. They, they had the entire um, cast of candidates of, of the Democratic Party in the year leading up to this year on the show, except for Mr. Biden. Yeah. So um, the, the Breakfast Club is, is hosted by uh, three individuals, Charlemagne Lagarde, um, um, Angela Yee, and DJ Envy. And Charlemagne kind of takes over on, on the... Um, questioning the challenging the insightful um looks at, at different candidates um i don't know if you caught the elizabeth warren episode but charlemagne really took offense and, and challenged elizabeth warren on her you know the whole native american uh thing and and claim so i feel like even though he is um has this platform for these democratic candidates he's he's really doing it for his people you know, he wants his people to be well informed. And it's not that he's against these candidates that are coming on his show, but he wants to challenge them so he knows firsthand their policy and so does his listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's fast forward a little bit. Summer's winding down and, and there was a chance that President Biden was or Vice President Biden was still not going to be um, on the show. Um, well, uh, talk about the events that led up to that, first of all, and then we'll talk about his, his appearance on the show. Well, from my understanding that, uh, again, they had been reaching out to Joe all through the primary. Yeah. Now Joe's the nominee or presumptive nominee. And uh, they reached out again. And so Joe volunteered to do what? Uh, he offered to send a black surrogate in his place to answer questions for him, first of all. Yeah, I mean, what an insult. Right? <laughs> so so is that that's the first of the insults that took place on this interview. Now, let me set up the timing of this, uh, Dallin, because this is important timing. Mm-hmm. So we kind of shift and had a little fun at Joe's expense. And uh, and so this next segment is going to be a little bit more serious because the ramifications of what took place next. But this is May 22nd for our audience. Just so everybody's really clear and has an understanding, May 22nd. Yep. And uh, so Joe goes on the program. Now, a podcast. Now, we're on this podcast together. And how yeah. long is our podcast? It's an hour long. Yeah, Joe Rogan's yeah. is how long? Oh, so is it three hours three, sometimes? Five four, hours five. if he's talking to Duncan Trestle? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, Rush Limbaugh's on three hours a day. And it, his isn't a podcast, it's a radio program. But these podcasts, when they have a guest on, it's not a quick interview. It's right. an in-depth discussion about And it, and it shouldn't be. It yeah. shouldn't be a quick interview. That's yeah. fluff. Yeah. So Joe's on here, the equivalent of about 10 minutes of talking time mm-hmm. uh, with Charlemagne the God. And all of a sudden he says, I've got to go. Yeah. And Cuts Charlem- it short. Yeah. Charlemagne's like, well, what do you mean you got to go? Yeah. Are you going to cut black media short? Yeah. And uh, then he blamed it on his wife. Yeah. My wife's got to be here. And if we're not, we're both going to have it. Yeah. And uh, so that would have been bad enough go- after putting off and not going on this podcast for the entire primary. Yeah. And now yeah. he's on the podcast. And, well, no, then he he insulted by saying he had sent a black surrogate to answer the questions yeah. for him. And, uh, and so now he's on there, and he's in it all of a 10 minutes of talking time, and he says he has to go. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to talk about what happened in those first 10 minutes. Um, Charlemagne, I, I took it right to him. You know, he didn't beat around the bush. He started with the 1994 crime bill that, that exactly. Biden was involved in. And um, do you know what Joe's response was to it? Well, the NAACP endorses me. Yeah, but and the NAACP's came out and said they don't endorse anyone. Yeah. Yeah. So that was his excuse, or, or that not his excuse. That was his explanation into the crime bill. Yeah. Was, well, don't worry about it. The NC. And NAACP endorses me. Right. So yeah. I, I feel it's more of a slap in the face to the black community to feel entitled to those votes and not even have the time of day for them, to not even have the, the time to address them and answer any concerns or questions they may have, because he's made some, some remarks in the past that are... I don't know, uh, concerning. <laughs> and and then, if it was Republican, it would be called racist. If it was Republican, they would be torched. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, you, and I think it's fair to say if it was a Republican um, that made these comments, not only would they be racist, but they would be reported on on The View, on uh, CNN, on MSNBC. You know, it would be plastered all over that. Can you believe a presidential candidate that's Republican made these comments? Yeah. You know, but we didn't hear anything about it because it was damaging you know to the left so um obviously this is the podcast where he made the famous uh quote that 
if you have a trouble deciding to vote for me or, or Trump, then you ain't black, yeah. right? So let's take that next uh, segment that he, uh, so Joe tells him he has to go. Mm-hmm. And Charlemagne says, look, there's four months until the election. I have a lot of questions. We've got to have you back on the program. So yeah. that's the premise. And now, which, you know, Charlemagne's already insulted. Here, Joe's on it 10 minutes. Uh, he's got a, two questions into it, maybe, and Joe has to leave. And so he says, we want you back. Yeah. And so then is when Joe makes the infamous, right. if you even have yep. to think about voting for me, you ain't black. Yeah. What questions do you need answered? You should just know you're going to vote for me, right? Yeah. I don't have to answer your damn questions. Yeah. And, and, I have you your vote. Do you yeah. think that's why we're not seeing a, more of a push on the Democratic side for uh, a debate? Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Because just the inability to have an intellectual conversation or to answer those challenging questions. Well, you know, perhaps on a large scale, that's why we're seeing it. But on a small, uh, on I shouldn't say a small scale, on this specific topic that we're talking about with uh, the black American vote mm-hmm. is they assume that they have the vote. It's yeah. theirs. They own it. And... And if, you, and if you don't vote, you ain't black. So technically they still own all the black vote because all the... People who used to be black who votes for Trump are no longer black, I suppose. Right. <laughs> They're but, Uncle uh, Toms, remember? Or Uncle sellouts. Toms, Coons, sellouts, yeah. race traders. Yep. And uh, so there's a growing movement, Dallin. Yeah. And I've been part of this growing movement. Not, I'm not black, but I've been an instrumental, passionate player in wanting to reach out to black Americans to join the Republican Party or conservative movement. And uh, so for 20 years, I've been kind of beating my head against the wall. But since Donald Trump got elected, he has asked for the black vote. He's petitioned and said, you know, what do you have to lose? And uh, he has done things within the black community that's been uplifting. When he was asked in 2016, what do you do about racism? He said, it's economics, Hmm. it's jobs, it's opportunities, it's entrepreneurship. And uh, so what did Trump come in and do? He, he raised, he created jobs, opportunity zones, $150 billion into opportunity mm-hmm. zones, put money into historically black colleges, uh, inspired and helped the black entrepreneurs in America be successful. And so he was addressing what he saw his fix in racism was. And uh, so anyway, we have this outreach and this movement's growing and growing and growing. Candace Owens, uh, Harris, I mean, there's so many popular people on podcast, on radio, um, that in, in the black American community are conservative now. And they were getting on Fox News, they were getting on CNN. And uh, so anyway, the list goes on. So the, it just kind of go into that as we go into this next se- segment, as we wrap this up, yeah. knowing that this movement has gained a lot of speed. And now, May 22nd, Joe Biden makes this comment. Yeah. So when we, I, I didn't see how much time we had left there, but. Uh, well, we're wrapping up. We're wrapping okay. up here. And just, just to finish up, and, 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 and we can kind of continue in the next mm-hmm. section, but we'll talk about what happens, you know, after these comments are made. And, and even more, I guess the, the, the distance and the divide that it created in just a three-day span. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll cover all that coming up next in the Trump Tater Podcast. All right. Real quick, before we get to break, I just want to say thank you to our listeners. Um, we have we've had a great outturn or turnout for our, our show. Um, we're very thankful that we can be on the air and that we have support from listeners all around the state. So when we get back with the Trump Tater podcast, we'll continue talking about the bunder, the Biden blunders and more. USA Radio News with Chris Barnes. Back to a Category 2 storm. Hurricane Sally is coming ashore near the Alabama-Florida state line. With 105-mile-an-hour winds, Orange Beach, Alabama City Administrator Ken Grimes says they're getting a lot of emergency calls from people who failed to evacuate, but most responses will have to wait until the worst of the storm is over. You're talking three to four feet of water. You cannot see where the roads are. A lot of the mailboxes are gone on the streets. 
The storm is expected to linger over the region through today and perhaps into tomorrow and could bring between 20 and 30 inches of rain to some locations. Wildfires continuing out west. One of them in Los Angeles County is now burning within 500 feet of the historic Mount Wilson Observatory in the San Gabriel Mountains just north of Los Angeles. And you're listening to USA Radio News. When thinking about life insurance, my accident reinforced you never know what tomorrow might bring. That's why I reached out to AccuQuote. AccuQuote helps people find a life insurance policy that meets their needs. Since 1986, they've helped millions of folks save up to 60% on their life insurance by comparing the rates and features of dozens of top-rated life insurance products. A healthy 50-year-old non-smoker can buy a half a million dollars of 10-year level term for less than 45 bucks a month. A 60-year-old under 120 bucks a month. Longer or permanent terms are available. Even if you already own life insurance, you really need to check out my friends at AccuQuote. Don't worry about health issues. Remember, they help me. As a pastor, I'm concerned about your soul and helping you to make sure your family is taken care of. Life insurance is more affordable now than ever, so don't make them wish you'd made that call. 877-437-4781. Call now, 877-437-4781. 877-437-4781. Each policy points and availability vary by state. President Trump predicting great things ahead in the Middle East as he hosted a White House signing ceremony yesterday for new accords that normalize relations between Israel, Bahrain, and the United Arab Emirates. For years you had blood in the sand. That's all you had, blood in the sand. You got nothing for it. They got nothing for it. Now you're going to have peace, and it'll be a real peace. The mayor of Louisville, Kentucky, laying out some of the policy changes coming after the shooting in March of Breonna Taylor during a no-knock raid. Mayor Greg Fisher says those changes include requiring a commanding officer to approve and review all search warrants that are requested. Smoke from the western wildfires have been choking folks in the west now for weeks, but now that smoke has reached the east coast. Meteorologists say clouds over places like Virginia and Maryland are actually wildfire smoke that had traveled thousands of miles from those western fires. And you're listening to USA Radio News. Welcome back to the Trump Tater. This is going fast today, and I think it's mainly because we had, one, we had some fun things to talk about, but two, some very important things. So we're going to continue talking about this Breakfast Club interview interview happened on May 22nd. Mm-hmm. And the, way, the reason I'm pointing that out, Dallin, and I want our audience to make this connection, is because what happened three days later? Uh, three days later, George Floyd happened. I think yeah. that's a really interesting connection. And, and uh, chronologically, that's, that's kind of a, is it a coincidence? Or is it convenient that it happened? Because huh. we, we had the divide. that. Oh, so um, let, let me yeah. just back up a little yeah, bit. Okay? I, I think the rephrasing of that, I, yeah. I think it's uh, the, the timing of that. Uh, I, I mean, I definitely don't feel uh, it was a coincidence or convenient that that happened to George Floyd. No, the, I, I, I meant that more of the story or the direction that that George Floyd incident took afterwards. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so here, here's what I really mean. Let me break yeah, it down. We just got to be careful with words because words are powerful. So words we, are powerful. Yeah, so we got to make and, sure. And, you know, I'm human and I'll make a mistake with my wording. But my message is this, is um, we, we had the, the breakfast club happen. Mr. Biden gets on there. He makes some outrageous comments, first of all. The way that the Breakfast Club even had to handle that interview. Um, Angela Yee, the the other uh, host of the show, she said, you know, it's interesting that every Democratic candidate reached out to us because of our platform, whereas we had to beg Joe Biden to come on because of our platform. So I I think that kind of shows... One, Mr. Biden took that vote for granted. Charlemagne yep. made the comment after that, you know, we won you as black people. We won you that election. And, and, and they specifically nomination. did because in South Carolina is the turning point for mm-hmm. Joe Biden in the primary. What? A state in the South? Yeah. yeah and, exactly. And, and uh, Clyborne, who is a representative in South Carolina, he got out the black vote and he, they literally did win Joe Biden the primary. Yeah. 
So, so, so what happens? Even... What, what's the aftermath of, of these comments? What do you see? Well, I mean, these comments happen and immediately outrage, specifically first in the uh, conservative black community, right. saying, what the heck? I mean, ha- how can you go on this radio podcast, insult the... the uh, the host of the podcast the way you did, not answer questions, and then basically, you know, say you have no place to go, which yeah. reminds me, and we're going to be talking on Friday about the Confederate flag, and I, I bring this up because 21 years ago I started an organization that took down the Confederate flag, and at the time, uh, Dick Harpoolian uh, was the chair of the Democratic Party, and I'm pointing this out for two reasons. One, he made the comment at that time uh, Blacks in South Carolina, I made made the connection because blacks in South Carolina truly did win Joe Biden the the primary vote because that saved his primary momentum. Um, But anyway, uh, some blacks were upset in South Carolina uh, that there was no blacks on a statewide ticket in the Democratic Party. Now, you have to understand the Democratic Party made up 60 percent of uh, blacks made up 60 percent of the Democratic Party in South Carolina. So. At that time, no blacks won a statewide attorney general, uh, governor, senate, and hadn't ever been on a statewide ticket uh, in South Carolina. And so Dick Carpooling came out to some of the people who were upset about it and said, if you don't like the complexion of this campaign, you can keep your butts home on Election Day and you'll get what you deserve. Wow. So basically saying you're screwed, you have no place to go but us. Yeah. So... What are you going to complain about? Yeah, talk about taking a vote for granted. Yeah. Huh? So this goes hand in hand with what Joe Biden's now doing 21 mm-hmm. years later, basically saying the same thing. Yeah. That uh, there's no reason for me to come back on this program because you have no place to go. Yeah. So cons- I'm your only option. I'm your only option. What are you going to do? Because here's the thing, and, and that's it kind of ties into our next um, segment, but what uh, the only option is to vote for Trump, right? Or to vote independent. And what does that do? It makes you a racist if you vote for Trump. Yep. And if you vote independent, it's or, just no, a wasted no, no, vote. No, because he's talking to a black man right now, a black American. So it doesn't make him a racist. It makes him a race traitor. Mm. It makes him Uncle Tom, a coon. All these things that yeah. liberal white people want to attach a name on a black conservative or someone who would dare to support Trump. Yeah. So anyway, let's talk about this momentum. The momentum was picking up. And it wasn't just among black conservatives. The momentum was picking up in, in, uh, among black athletes and among uh, musicians black mu- and, musicians. Yeah. And it was gaining steam. Mm-hmm. And then Monday... George Floyd happened, the tragedy there, that all of America, and this is what kind of puzzled me, is all of America saw that video and said, this is wrong. Yeah. And uh, this isn't what our police force should be doing. Right. Regardless if this gentleman had a criminal history or anything else, once somebody is in police custody, it is up to the police to maintain their safety. Mm-hmm. So everybody in America that saw that video, now we have had some things come out since. It gives a little bit different you know, perspective to it. But nonetheless, we saw a police officer standing on the back, uh, kneeling on the back of a black American's neck for nine minutes. Right. And even after he lost consciousness, continuing to maintain that pressure on the back of this man's neck. So everybody in America saw that, and everybody regardless of political party, white, black, Hispanic, saw that and said, this isn't the America that we want. This is does not represent us. And so that momentum was gaining. I mean, everybody, I, I don't know if anybody that I talked to that looked at that and thought that was a good thing to happen. It, what is your circles? I mean, was you, were you getting the same f- feedback on that? Yeah, regardless of... of- you know, the crime or the reason that the police were there at the, how they handled that. I don't think I've ever heard someone say he did a good job. Yeah. He, he had the authority to do that. No, so everybody wanted justice on that and wanted the police to have some level of accountability on that. And so then all of a sudden the, the protest started legitimate protest initially. They didn't, uh, and I think for the safety of that police officer, the predominant one that was on the back of the man's neck, they probably should have arrested him or held him in police custody mm-hmm. right away uh, for his protection, for his family's protection. But, and also, 
for the community and for America under that circumstance. Now, I know in most police situations that you want to get the full story, but the way the momentum was picking up on that, the police should have acted a little bit quicker on arresting him. So you had the protest beginning because they had not arrested him. And, um, but at the same time, this thing that happened on Friday with Joe Biden on the breakfast club was still gaining momentum. It hadn't, it hadn't quieted down. So that was still happening. And the reason I'm trying to tie that together is because these peaceful protests that all of America agreed with all of a sudden turned violent. Mm -hmm. And why they turned violent is the question that I want to pose. And I really believe that the momentum that the conservative, black conservative movement was growing, this insult that Joe Biden gave on national radio to the most listened to black podcast um, was making news. It was still being talked about, even with the George Floyd. So they had to bury it. Mm-hmm. And so you had, and everybody says, oh, who's Antifa? Well, Antifa's been out there in full force. The media refuses to um, give any acknowledgement that they exist or report on them, mainly because when they have tried to report on them, they have umbrellas shoved in their faces. They get pushed. They get, I mean, it's dangerous for reporters to report on Antifa. But Antifa comes into these peaceful protests. They start breaking glass. And they start spray painting BLM on buildings. And these are white, middle-class professional people. These are upper graduates in college or lower graduates in college, for the most part, that are part of this uh, communist Marxist movement. And they are out instigating these riots. They're instigating and encouraging the looting. So they come out at the beginning of these protests and are breaking glass and spray painting. And then once the momentum and the energy level gets up there, then police show up and it has appeared that the black people that were starting the peaceful protest doing this. So this is how these riots started. Mm-hmm. And they started, I, I believe, completely because they had to bury this story of Joe Biden and stop this momentum of the black population realizing that they, could, they had a choice. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I meant by the convenience of the story is that the aftermath of George Floyd was a convenient time to bury the comments that that Biden had made and then the comments that he left out, the explanations that he didn't make, you know, and the black community deserved. So so um, we're going to kind of lead. We got 30 seconds left before we have a commercial. So we're going to kind of lead into the last segment that we have with talking about uh, I guess the goal in the riots, the goal in the protest, the goal in causing all this disrupt or disruption, and then where do we go from here? Correct. Exactly. So the defunding of the police mm-hmm. and uh, what's their motive behind that, and just you know, you know what the end game is. Yeah. So we'll come up. Does coming up does uh, defunding the police solve racism? I guess we'll find out. Coming up on the Trump Tater, we'll get into that and some local news, along with what we have coming on the show on Friday for you guys, a special episode on the Confederate flag, and a chance to talk with Joe Carey and be on his show, coming up on the Trump Tater. About to hear a commercial for a very unique mortgage team that has a very specific advantage that could save your family monthly and lifelong money. Two things you should know. One, we were started by a dad and his son and his wife and his sister-in-law. And we've grown to be a faith-focused mortgage team that's helping families across the U.S. We're faith and family at our core, and we don't hide it. Two, we've still stayed fairly small, on purpose. We're only about a couple dozen people, a makeup that we believe lets us truly know every person that calls. But we also have a big advantage. Our company is a direct lender which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls, a reality that often allows us to get you a better rate, which could save you monthly and lifelong money. We are United Faith Mortgage at unitedfaithmortgage.com. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Millville Park, Road, Melbourne, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to animalistconsumeraccess.org. Corporate animalist number 1330. Equal housing lender. I license in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, Mississippi, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, or Utah. The healthcare enrollment period has just ended. 
Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a health care program. Sign up for Liberty Health Share today. As a Christian health care sharing ministry, they are not insurance. So you can still sign up. There's no open enrollment period. You can sign up now. And you can pick the program of your choice. You get to select your doctors and your hospital. They have programs for single individuals, for couples, and families. Best of all, there are no contracts. And plans start at only $199 per month. Go to libertyhealthshare.org backslash Joe Carey. That's LibertyHealthShare.org backslash Joe Carey, K-E-R-R-Y. With a recession ending, if you've been putting off building your business, now is the time to act. General Steel will meet or beat any price on a pre-engineered steel building of the same size and specifications. Act now before steel prices go up. So call us today for free information. Call 800-965-1290. Hi, this is Stan Ellsworth. You know, I know a little bit about history. I mean, me and that Harley and all. But social media, well, that's a mystery to me. So I turned to the good folks at Little Cloud. They helped me develop my social media. They call it an online footprint. I'm a pretty big guy. Little Cloud, they've created a pretty big online presence for me. Let them help you. Visit their website. Visit my friends at littlecloudmedia.com. All right, we're back with the Trump Tater Podcast. Um, we're going to cover defunding the police this this segment, and, and apparently that's the answer, the cure all for racism is, is just get rid of the police, and it seems that our problems will go away, right, Jamie? <laughs> well, that's what some Democrats would think, and they're even challenging their fellow Democrats that uh, do not support defunding the police. Like Amy Kennedy is running for a congressional seat in New Jersey. And she said that the people, Democrats, who are opposing the defunding of police uh, aren't doing enough for racist, uh, to confront racism. So why don't you get into a little bit more about what she said? Yeah, so I'm just going to read the, the quote that um, kind of went viral from, from Amy Kennedy. She says, and, and I'm going to read this directly. You guys can, can decipher the intelligence and the stumbling in this. It says, I'm worried that um, in our efforts as um, Democrats to say, no, no, we don't support defunding, we're not abolishing the police that or that we're not abolishing the police that we might, you know, not do enough to address racism in this country. <laughs> what does that mean, Jamie? You know, I really don't even know <laughs> because I'm not for sure how that's attached. I mean, definitely better training for police to be able to deescalate a situation, uh, better training on how to talk to people and, uh, and and so I mean, and be more aware, you know, uh, sensitive on um, on how they're handling arrests. But defunding, what purpose does that serve? Yeah, it, it, this shows me that if if an individual, regardless of his political affiliation, takes a pragmatic approach to solving police brutality and either the lack of training in in high stress situations, the lack of training in combative situations, if you take a pragmatic approach to solving those issues other than completely defunding and abolishing the police, you're racist. I know, it's incredible. I I just want to do a shout out because we're a local program here in Ogden, Utah. We have an incredible police department here in Ogden. We do. And uh, very grateful for our police, and we support uh, support law enforcement. Uh, President Trump uh, articulated, it's something that I've been trying to push out there for the last couple of months now, is that who gets hurt when the police are defunded? They want, and he's specifically talking about communities that are heavily populated uh, with uh, people of color, blacks, Hispanics, and uh, he says they want more police. They want protection. They suffer more than anybody else by bad police protection. The president went on to discuss the importance of uh, having well-funded police departments and uh, that by defunding, you're actually hurting the black communities in America. Yeah, he he put out a, a, a quote or a percentage or a statistic, excuse me, that said 81% of black Americans want either the same level or more policing in their communities. And I think that's important to say that if, if, those, if that's what 
is desired and needed um, within these black communities, then obviously the reform is more important than the cancellation, correct? It is. So then, then you have to ask, well, why? Why is this being pushed? Yeah. And, and again, it, you know, the organization, I have people challenge me all the time because I have a poster up at my store that supports all black lives and say all black lives matter and have a, a few individuals that represent that message. And uh, they... So we're always questioning, well, how can you support both, support both? And then then they catch the all and they say, well, you don't support Black Lives Matter. And I say, oh, well, absolutely. I don't support Black Lives Matter as an organization. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's where they've really got this tricky little thing connected, because if you say you don't support all Black Lives Matter, <gasps> then you're racist. racist. Yeah. And uh, so I have to defend that on a regular basis on why I don't support the Black Lives Matter movement as an organization, but definitely in the concept. Yeah. So Roderick Threats is the uh, head, the president of the Black Assembly of the GOP here in Utah. Mm-hmm. And he put out uh, a Facebook post last night. I'm going to read that because he gets to a very important point that at the end I have not caught before. He says, y'all know, I think in the long game, based on historical measures and have firsthand witnessed. And tonight is one of those nights that has kept me up. We should not be defunding or disbanding the police departments. They need more funding to garner the resources to better trained officers that are more informed. We also need to have more community outreach from the police and more community reaching out to the police to have these discussions. This is why it is important to be at council meetings and to speak and to be heard. If you take the time to protest in favor of or against the police, you can take the time to go to a council meeting. There are no excuses. In this last part, and again, Roderick Threats, he has the Patriots program, and uh, at a later time I'll find out the exact handle so you can listen to Roderick's program. He says, my long game synopsis is this. Defunding the police is an end round to grabbing guns from uh, citizens of America. If police are unarmed, then the citizens must be unarmed as well. Boom. There goes your Second Amendment rights. That is the motive behind defunding the police, unarming the police, is to unarm Americans from their Second Amendment. Yeah. And that's kind of a, a, a trapdoor approach that they're taking to, the, to abolish the Second Amendment, is if they can give, take the power out of the hands of the authority, well, then it has to, the power has to be out of the, especially the, the you know, guns and, and stuff, has to be out of the hands of the citizens as well. So you're right, there goes the Second Amendment. So I, I don't want to beat a dead horse. Um, talking about black-on-black crime, that's a statistical number. You can look that up. I believe that minorities in cities where that crime is rampant realize those numbers. Yeah. They understand them. And that's why they feel the need for more policing. They feel the need to have that protection. Not because they, they I don't know, they, they think that supporting the police is racist because they're trying to protect their livelihoods. And they know that their own black community or, or minority community is not helping support that. Instead, they add to the crime. You know, they add to the looting. They add to the, the burning and, and the rioting. And so as a black business owner, I, I completely understand where they're coming from. Yeah, so it, it's hard. And we're about to wrap up this program today. So I just want to give a shout out to Utah. Uh, we always want to say something awesome about our great state that we love in. And it just came out yesterday that Utah is one of the best states for transitioning military families. Yeah. And so Hill, at Hill Air Force Base, uh, we're a very welcoming community on many things. But one thing that caught my eye on this article is that if you are married to a military person and you're a professional and you have some type of license to, you know, counseling or you're a doctor, you're a PA, you're, you're, you know, something that requires a licensed certification, that Utah is very friendly yeah. uh, to those spouses to be able to come in and let them practice their educational um, uh, specialty and in those licensing procedures. So that's just one area. But they mentioned a whole list of areas where Utah is very friendly and helping military families adjust and uh, to life here in Utah and make that transition easy on them. So kudos to Utah. Yeah, I can't say enough about it. In fact, the, the top three um, military installations that they named, two of them were in Utah. Um, Hill Air Force Base being the number one, and then the Roland Wright Regional Air Force Base as well, or military base as well. Um, and so Hill was actually the only 
um, active duty base to make that list, which I thought was interesting because when you take active duty life into a military, it means you're bringing out of towners into, uh, your community, you know, and you're, you're mixing them with the community versus, a uh, um, a national guard where, you know, you can be a, a resident and, and just report to the base closest to you. Mm-hmm. So, um, I really think that Utah's, uh, focus on family, focus on children in the schools, you know, um, plays a huge part into why they've had such success in, in transitioning from military to um, citizen life or, or normal life. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you were in the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in the military as well. My husband was in for 11 years. And, and uh, moving as a military family can be hard. Yeah. So a state that's aware of those um, those problems that arise when you're, you're, you're transitioning a lot and making it easier for military families is just a welcoming, you know, uh, feeling for someone coming in and making these moves every three years. And yeah. so, uh, again, let's talk about our, our show on Friday that we're going to have and that we're also going to go on the Joe Carey radio program on K-Talk. Yeah, and, and you mentioned earlier that, you know, we're going to be talking about the Confederate flag this Friday and um, 21 years ago, you, you started a, a work or a project that's carried into very much so where we're at today in, in the nation, you know. So I'm excited just to hear your insight in, into, you know, the history of the Confederate flag and the historical context that you took into account in, in making your stance, you know, because it's not, I, I would say it's not the normal uh, conservative stance on the Confederate flag, but knowing what you know is has changed your opinion, correct? Yeah. Well, and I would disagree that it was a conservative governor that had attempted to take the Confederate flag down before I got involved in the movement. Uh, so a lot of conservatives, I, I believe, were part of that movement, and not just myself. But, yeah, it wouldn't be perceived as, as that only because the media frames it right. that way. Right. But I saw it as a very conservative movement and uh, just a lot of insight. And one, one thing I want to just say for the audience, if you join us on that, this is not a simplistic issue. And oftentimes we want to make something a lot simpler that it's either this way or that way. It's very complex. So please go into this program knowing the complexities that are there as we talk about it. And we're excited for to meet you again tomorrow on another uh, Trump Tater special, and we'll see you on Friday. Don't be a hater. Be a tater. We'll catch you tomorrow. Mm-hmm.